Hey everyone, welcome to the Grabs Podcast, where we bring the stories of real life rescues to you firsthand from those involved. I'm your host today, Grant, and today with me I got Tyler Williamson from SAC Metro Fire District. Uh, we've had a couple grabs from this fire district before. Uh, they seem to be getting a lot of work and they're really willing to share, which is cool. So welcome, Tyler. Um, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, like your career so far? Sure. Yeah. Uh, let's see. So currently I'm an engineer at a 32A shift. Um, prior to that, my assignment was truck 26 um, over in the north uh, district uh, up in Antelope. And uh, yeah, I was there for a bit, a little longer in a bit, maybe three years, a little longer. And um, prior to that, kind of just bouncing around. Um, I started with the agency in 2014. And yeah. Uh, for those that haven't listened to any of the previous SAC Metro ones, can you give me a little rundown on your department makeup, uh, firehouses, engines, trucks, and how you guys do business? Yeah, sure. So uh, you basically have uh, the county of Sacramento, and that's kind of a bunch of different agencies that have all come together uh, in, you know, culminated in 2000. So um, I think we're the seventh largest agency in California. Um, We've got, you know, close to 40 uh, different fire stations. Um, some are engine only, some are engine medic. Our medics are suppression medics. At least we have 13 of those. So they will be issued and, and be used as fire attack and for whatever fire operations we need. And then uh, we have seven truck companies uh, spread out throughout the district as well. Um, there's a heavy rescue. There's a hazmat. Um, both of those operate as first out trucks and then just kind of a, a pretty diverse all risk uh, agency everything from you know wildland to those special ops that i mentioned we've got you know helicopters and any gadget you can imagine kind of uh, this agency seems to uh to have what's your staffing level on your rigs yeah good question so uh the medic is two firefighter either paramedics or firefighter emts um the engines are going to be three you have a captain an engineer and a firefighter, one of which typically the firefighter is the firefighter paramedic. Most of us are paramedics as well. And then on the trucks, um, you have a staffing of four. So that's gonna be captain, your engineer, and then uh, your saw and tools fireman. So saw um, is gonna typically be paired up with the uh, captain and typically go top side for ventilation. And the tools is typically gonna be paired up um, with the engineer and they're going to go interior for search. There are exceptions to that and caveats, but I would say, at least when I was working on trucks, that was the the standard. And uh, what are you guys getting on a regular alarm uh, for just a residential fire? Yes, yeah, so it's going to be four engines, two trucks, two BCs, and a medic. And then how are you guys um, divvying up workload? Is it uh, you have pre-arrival assignments, IC driven, or or a combination of both? Combination of both. So we definitely have, you know, SOGs and SOPs and kind of fall by that playbook. Um, you know, recently uh, there's a little bit more of uh, a move for being open to interpretation and um, making the right choice and just being able to justify your actions um, is kind of the, the, the le from the leadership standpoint um, where we're moving with stuff. So um, Typically, your you know first in engine is going to be there with you know fire attack or investigation mode if need be, um, and then uh, 
you know, your second end is going to be water supply and taking commands. Um, and that kind of trickles down with the other engine companies kind of plugging and playing what needs to be done, whether another line needs to be in play. Um, sometimes they'll be issued search right away. Um, typically with our first arriving truck, you're historically going to see a team one, team two split. So team one's going to go to the roof for vertical ventilation. That's going to be your captain and your, uh, saw firefighter team two is going to go interior for search. Depending on the apparatus and the crew or the captain, that may switch. You know, for example, it's one of our straight six, and it's a uh, you know we have intel as a rescue. Um, you know, they may send both both firefighters in because they're basically hopping out, masked up, ready to go. Um, if it's a tiller, the operation may be different, but that's that's historically kind of how it goes. Uh, so, if you guys are assigned search, what does that look like? Uh, what's your pregame plan for the two guys that are going inside? Uh, I think it, I think it depends on on who it is that's going inside and 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 what they've already done as far as pre-planning. You know, definitely, um, I feel like you know the the trucks seem to specialize in that and seem to get more training in that. I mean, other companies are so busy doing other other trainings and and just running a ton of calls. Really, um, from like the team two standpoint, um, you know, typically at least when I was a, a firefighter, I'd talk to the engineer in the morning, we'd kind of get a game plan, what tools we'll be bringing, what not, what, you know, what's our, what's both of our experience level, what's our comfort level, and just kind of make a plan from there. All right, cool. Let's jump in. Uh, so July 2nd, 2021, you guys had a rescue. Can you talk to us about that and how that call came in and how it all went down? Sure. So uh, I was driving engine 109 that day. Uh, it was kind of a hodgepodge crew. Uh, station 109 is our hazmat team. It's staffed uh, with the engine and the hazmat truck. And then uh, the ambulance is there uh, as well. So you have what is that, a total of nine uh, personnel that can respond out of that station um, if the medic is even <laughs> anywhere to be found and not on a different call. But uh, I was driving engine 109. It was actually my first day driving the engine back on the hazmat team. Uh, the captain uh, had worked at 109 before, but that wasn't his regular duty. And same with the firefighters. So kind of a hodgepodge crew. In the morning, we were kind of joking. We went on a medical aid and talking about, uh, you know, do you guys want to get an apartment fire today or a, you know, house fire? You know, I was like, eh, you know, apartment fire is a little more complex. You know, I'll get some good work out of it. Let's, let's shoot for an apartment complex fire, you know? Um, so just kind of having a, a good morning sometime, sometime after lunch, uh, the call went out. Uh, we all have like a pulse point on our phones, so we're, we're pretty quick at knowing what's going on and are out at the rig getting, getting dressed, you know, sometimes even before a dispatch. We're not going to respond unless we get dispatched, but it's a good heads up. So um, as I'm running out the door, I quickly kind of, you know, see my first couple turns as far as mapping. Um, we're getting dressed out real quick. Uh, kind of depends on on how fast they are with like, and if it's in my first in or not, as far as whether I'm going to get all the way dressed out or not, or, you know, it's just situational. I want to get us and those resources going there as quick as possible as, as the driver and as the operator. Anyways, we made our first couple turns and as soon as we turned down uh, Fair Oaks, uh, we saw pretty large uh, column, knew, knew we had a, a fire. And really the uh, crew that I was with that day was pretty heads up. They immediately started bringing stuff up on 
you know, mapping and, and given Intel and, and beta and uh, really just kind of set the tone for how it was going to go. You know, um, they were, you know, mentioning things like, hey, it looks like, you know, this place has solar. Um, to me, that means we're going to have, you know, potentially a decrease in vertical ventilation. Now, I know that truck crew that was following us and they're going to get a whole cup for sure. Um, no matter what, I'm pretty sure that's our most senior saw firefighter in the district at this point. But at any rate, just knowing that there might be a little bit of a delay with that just kind of sets the tone for what's going on. Other uh, observations were things like, um, you know, hey, it looks like it's a split level. So just kind of painting that picture as we're driving over. I'm just kind of focused on the road. We're driving over, looking at the column. It's building. It's it's a big column. It's it's kind of in that free burning stand, but you know you don't know what's on fire. Um, certainly in Sacramento, it could be anything. You know, you could have like it was a house fire. It could be an RV parked next to something. It could be tires. It could be a chicken coop. It could be whatever. So um, we just kind of commented on on the amount of free burning kind of column that we had at that point. Um, so you could see it from pretty far away. Uh, let's see. As we arrived, let's see, the first in engine, let me think, was engine 108. We were all kind of right on top of each other in this in this battalion, just kind of in between battalions. But 108 got there, 21 got there, and then uh trying to think, 31 was getting the plug when we pulled up, and we were fourth in engine. Um, but we were all arrived. I don't know, not even within a minute of each other, basically. So I went, it's uh, the end of a court there. Um, so I went and parked the rig off to the side. Um, the captain of firefighter kind of made a plan, made an arrival, got out and started going to work. Um, I, you know, got my normal tools and uh, walked over at that time, the, who I thought was the pumping engineer, who was actually just the engineer off a different engine. The supply was being made. There was somebody down at the wharf hydrant at the end, you know, 250 feet back. I could see the line getting charged. He already had it hooked up. So, you know, I'm stoked. Cool. We got a supply. Gives me op opportunity to do other work. I checked in with him, said, hey, what do you need, Matt? Um, he said, no, I'm good. Got a supply. Kind of gave him another second to get organized. And then I said, uh, you know, last chance, Matt, what do you need? Are you good? And he's like, yeah, I'm good, man. Um, so cool, kind of the way that was, that engine was parked, obviously right in front of the house. So I kind of stepped off to the tailboard and was um, get a mask up and kind of get my size up, try to pair up with my uh, my crew. And, uh, you know, there's just, so the way this, this house was, there was a, a staircase leading maybe 15 or 20 feet up into the front door. So that was pretty, uh, pretty clogged up with, with firefighters. We had multiple captains, a couple firefighters and the team two team all kind of stacked up there as that first line is being charged. Um, I think there was some sort of delay in, in getting the hose line uh, charged, whether it was kinks or, or the stretch or, or something along those lines, they were calling for more pressure. But anyways, as I'm masking up, a neighbor comes up to me and uh, yells, hey, I think there's somebody still in that house. So I grabbed her because where we were, you couldn't really see. And I said, show me exactly where. And she pointed kind of off into the left of this house, this split level house. So I said, okay. And we had heavy fire, uh, heavy smoke coming from the entire uh, Bravo and Charlie corners and blowing out of the whole Bravo side. 
So, and out the alpha side door. So I came up on the radio and said, you know, command, we're getting reports of a victim in a room in the house to the left. Um, and then continued to mask up and make my way down the, uh, the Bravo side of the house. So initially I was thinking about pairing up with my team and just, you know, coming in through the, that front door, but it was so clogged up with folks that that just wasn't a good entry point for search. You know, I, my experience has been a lot of times you can get a good search in off the Charlie if, um, you know, the alpha side's kind of, kind of clogged up. So that's kind of what I was shooting for. Um, as I was making my way down the, uh, Bravo side of the house, um, there was an inch and a inch and three quarter line already stretched and a two and a half stretched down that side. And we had heavy fire coming out of, so the way it works there is there was a, garage that then had like one of those dumbwaiter elevators that led up to the top and then that was kind of the so your first floor was technically at like a second story elevation if that makes sense because of the split level nature of this uh of this house so anyways i'm making my way down there they're they're charging the lines there's kind of a wooden fence in the way that's you know pretty well heavily involved i take that fence out of the out of the program and make my way down that Bravo Charlie corner. And um, there was heavy fire coming off that whole side. There was like a, I think it ended up being like a 300 or a 400 square foot uh, large deck off that side that was putting off a lot of heat. And, uh, you know, maybe it was an outside in fire um, at that point, but there was a lot of fire coming out of the house as well. So coming in through the Charlie, I, uh, I make my way around the Bravo, come around through the Charlie, and I see like what's uh, a bay window. So to me, I was thinking that that was, you know, some sort of kitchen or living room or something like that. Um, but I, uh, to the right side of that, there was a sliding glass door uh, that, and the whole deck was on fire over the right over there. And I tried making an entry through that, but it was just, uh, it wasn't tenable for me. Um, my ears were ringing and it was just, uh, it wasn't going to be a good a good point to to start a search, so I took that uh, that window and was thinking about doing like a, a VES operation through there, but it was kind of elevated. It's the bay window. There's rose bushes right there. It's just not kind of ideal. I kind of peeked down the delta corner and uh, you know I see a, a row of three windows basically. So okay, this is this is a lot better operation, and I thought that 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 Charlie window there that had that bay window. I thought that that was a kitchen or a family room. Uh, I was wrong and I'll circle back to that in a minute, but um, I go down the Delta and there's a two and a half being stretched down that side as well. Um, I tell that firefighter, Hey, I'm going to VES this window, come over here. And at first he was like, Hey, I'm on the two and a half. And you know, then, just kind of the way I was talking to him, I think he could he could tell that we had a higher priority situation going. I said, "Hey, get over here and uh, give me a hand with this." And so Kyle comes running over. I put him in the window, and uh, um, yeah, I ves that window. The window broke a little bit different than I was familiar with um, because it was a bathroom window, which is I expected it to be a bathroom window because. Just up and to the left of it, there was your typical like small rectangle window where, you know, people store shampoo or whatever. 
And then further down, there was a typical like double window. So I knew, I knew that one of them was a bedroom and I was expecting that to be a bathroom. What happened after the bathroom, I turned out to be wrong. But uh, anyways, I take the window, clear the sash, it burps. It, it clears out real well because it's that tempered bathroom glass window. As I enter in, uh, I fall into the bath the bathtub, and uh, you know, get back up. We had just gotten issued these these brand new personal ticks, which is awesome. We went through a whole training for it, so I've got that thing dangling there. I try to scan the room and see what's going on. Um, excuse me, I did that before I I hopped in the window initially. Couldn't really see anything. It was all just orange on my tick. So made the window, hopped in the bathtub, and then tried searching. I was expecting it to be a, a master bathroom leading into a master bedroom. And I ran into a door. So I'm like, sweet, it's what I'm it's what I'm thinking. Um, I open up that door again. I try to use the uh the tick, but I just it's not all I see is bright glowing orange everywhere. I I can't differentiate what's going on. Um it's pretty hot for me at this point. I took a lot of heat coming around that deck and trying to make entry through that, that other side, my ears were, were ringing pretty hard already. Um, but I start, there's zero visibility and I start kind of crawling down this, what I'm assuming is going to lead out into the master bedroom, but it turned out to be a, a hallway that then was connected with the master, um, bedroom. So the hallway was pretty narrow. Um, they had like a Jack and Jill sink and a vanity. So it was only really as wide as the door. So it made for, you know, pretty good searching conditions, honestly. This wasn't a hoarder house. It's pretty, pretty clean in that regard. Um, as I'm making my way down there, I put my hand up like to try to see if I could feel like the heat above me and if it was real hot or if I was just hot from before. And it didn't feel too hot to me. So, you know, I continued to to search. And then uh as I'm making my way down this hallway. At some point, there was a, a pretty significant conditions change that I noticed. It got um, significantly hotter, way hotter for me, and visibility just went to, I mean, it was already not not good, but now I couldn't see anything even when, when my head was all the way on the floor. So it's kind of trying to figure out, you know, what the changes were. I knew we didn't have vent yet, um, and it turns out that, that that door from the bathroom had closed behind me. Um, so I backed out, opened that door, used my long handle tool to kind of prop that open. Usually I use my axe, but I had lost that in the bathtub. I, I found it, that's where I found it later at least. So I start making my way back down this hallway and uh, you know, now I could get back to that same spot I was a little bit quicker, conditions are better, a little more visibility, but still I'm, I'm all the way on my, on my head, you know, my, on, the, on the floor. Um, and uh, yeah, I just basically walked or crawled, searched right over this this victim. Um, I didn't know what it was at first. Thought it was just like a pile of clothes. I've been kind of fooled like that before. And then I kind of it took a couple seconds, but I realized it was a victim. And I realized that like they weren't they weren't in that bad a condition. They were in a lot better condition than than other victims I've come upon. So uh was trying to get out on the radio to let somebody know that we had, you know, a victim, but there was just a lot of radio traffic. And, you know, I was kind of operating more or less independently until I got that other firefighter in the window. I didn't, I didn't think I was going to be able to get this dude out by myself. So I made the call to leave him right where he was, 
jam back out to that window and holler out to uh, the dude that was in the window, hey, I've got a victim, call it in, like get some resources over here. And I wanted people coming in to help me uh, remove this victim. I don't know the statistics exactly, but it seems like, uh, you know, typically you need, you need more than one person to get a victim out like that. Um, and that's what I thought it was going to be. How big was the victim? Uh, under 200 pounds. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. How'd you guys decide to go out? You went out the window? That you came in or, or what was your exit plan? Yeah, yeah. So so basically, yeah. So I, I ran, I ran out to the window, said, Hey, we need we got a victim. I need resources. Jammed back to that victim. And just the way I was able to lay them up and pull them out, you know, it was kind of it couldn't have been uh, a better situation, really. They they propped up back to me and I just kind of like you would do a dummy drag and some drill or something like that, just lifted them up, squatted them out, and uh just dragged him out. Um, it's a good thing I propped open that door. That would have caused me some problems as I was uh, trying to make my egress there. And uh, as I make my way into the bathroom, you know, I see more resources there. I've got hands reaching in. They're trying to grab him. I was able to lay that dude down kind of over the uh, the bathtub sill a little bit. And then, you know, guys are trying to help, man. They, they want to they hook you up and be helpful. And they're grabbing me, they're grabbing him. At some point I had to yell like, Hey, go slow, go slow. Cause they were essentially pulling me down and pulling him up. You know, it just wasn't working. So anyways, we slowed down, we got him out nice and easy. And, uh, one of the other, uh, crew members, actually the captain, um, ended up getting him and, and, and running him out to the medic. And, uh, yeah, um, they transported him. Uh, yeah, that's kind of how it, how far was that drag from the point you found them to the, to the exit? I think the hallway was like a 20 or 25 feet. And then a little small bathroom after that, maybe, I don't know, maybe 15 or 20 feet, not very long. I got, like I said, it was pretty lucky with the with a lot of things that day, but definitely just the layout, how it all worked out, not having a bunch of stuff in the way. It was, it was pretty clean. And um, I know sometimes victims are slippery when you get them. You didn't have any trouble slipping off of them by the way you grabbed them from behind. There was a little bit. I mean, he definitely had some some skin slough into the uh, extremities, but um, nothing on his torso. He still his clothes were still on, so it just uh, it just lined up good, uh, really, with his orientation, my orientation, and getting him out. Yeah. Nice. Uh, do you have any kind of idea timeline um, from arrival to victim out? What that was like? Yeah, uh, the captain actually that that I handed the victim to has a video uh, of what his operation was, and, and it does show it. It's not very long, just a few minutes, really. Um, I think less than six minutes um, from his arrival till the time this was happening, um, and they were there, you know, thirty seconds before us. So um, I can uh, I can look it up and get you better better details on that exactly you know, a lot of things happens, uh, to put kind of this situation together. Right. But, um, there was definitely some, some slides I was stealing from other dudes I've talked to that have had grabs and, and I was definitely drawn on some experiences that I've had and, and both in the trainings and on fires. And, um, it made me feel pretty comfortable with, with what I was doing having the intel on the way to that fire, having that, that crew be, be heads up and talk about, you know, building layout, um, the ventilation uh, or the, um, 
solar that could kind of, you know, that, that was all good. It was all kind of piecing itself together. Um, you know, as I was trying to find a way to, to enter the building, it just went from, from kind of untenable and worse to, to worse and then to better. And that kind of lined out good. Um, I wish I would have taken a second and come out over the radio and said I was VESing off the Delta. I think we would have got some resources there maybe a little quicker, but you know, there's a lot of radio traffic and sometimes you don't have time for that. Um, I had unique specific information given directly to me that I tried to share and I was just kind of trying to, you know, operate as best I could for that. Um, I wish I would have spent a little more time with the tick trying to see, you know, if I could differentiate things that might've made it a little quicker. Um, and yeah, I think uh, once I got to the victim, I mean, I didn't think I was going to be able to get him out by myself. That's a big reason that I, I, I bailed and went to the window to try to get more resources, but same thing, trying to get out on the radio wasn't working. I just need to get us resources, but it's kind of a situation, you know, am I going to stay or am I going to go? I know he's not moving anywhere. Right. So, and I know I can get back to that spot real quick. Um, but looking back, you know, another option would have just been to call it in or, you know, hit your emergency button so that you get, you get it and, and then take them out that way. But, you know, I chose differently. No, it all, all worked out well. It, looking back at hearing the story now, the couple of things that really stick out to me is uh, when the alpha side door is clogged with people, just finding another way in. Sometimes people think VES is some rogue thing. And really, we're just trying to find an entry point a lot of the, a lot of the time. And, uh, totally. and guys love, love to jam up that front. So, it, you know, if you're a hose guy, it's an important job, but try to make some way for some people getting in and out, um, crawling over the victim and initially thinking they're closed. You hear that a lot. Uh, when we search these, these training facilities, we don't put a lot of clutter in there and uh, we need to do a better job doing that. I love that communication thing where you just said, Hey, the radio's not working. And just, just to get those resources coming, make them back making your way back to the window and do that face to face was, was solid. Um, overall, like awesome job. I'm, I'm glad you were able to share it. Yeah. If I could just add a couple things to the end here, uh, definitely some trainings that I went to and some live burns. I, I sought out specific trainings, VES under live fire, you know, um, down at Fresno and, and own, our own stuff that our own agency was doing, but that stuff paid dividends on this fire with, with let me feel comfortable with this. And then, you know, trust your ears, trust your sense. Um, for me, my ears, you know, if I would have gone in that, that first sliding glass door, I think we would have had a different outcome. Um, it would have been opening up into a large room that was very well involved with fire and, you know, trusting that, you know, Hey, this might not be the best spot and taking a second. Um, and, you know, you don't want to be, you know, searching and having your mask craze and, and, and have issues like that. So just be a, be a thinking firefighter and, you know, pay attention to, you know, your department and what they have to offer and, and, you know, the coffee talk tables, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of opportunity. This, this particular month for my agency was extremely busy. I think two days later, another, another, or one of the other captains got a grab on a different fire. We had a ton of, of activity that the two months before and after that. So, um, yeah. Awesome. Well, uh, thank you for sharing the story. If you get a grab or assist, uh, we ask you to go to www.firefighterrescuesurvey.com. Take that short survey. That information is for us, by us. Uh, the app just got updated so you can uh, 
record those grabs pretty easy. Uh, likewise, you can go onto that website and just see what the data is and uh, base your training about what's actually happening. And, you know, if you want to record one of these grab stories, the point of this is we're just trying to bring these stories to real life. You know, we're never going to get enough sets and reps in our careers, but we can listen to what others have done and uh, hopefully learn and fill up that flash drive. So when we're faced with a situation, we can drop on someone else's experiences. So get a hold of me, Grant Schwalbe, if you want to record one, Nick Ledeen or Justin McWilliams. And until next time, thanks for listening.